Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by Catanzary Financial Services. It's Monday, two days after Notre Dame's 56-27 victory over Wake Forest at Wake Forest, Winston-Salem, Notre Dame. Uh, trailed for the first time this year, but it didn't last very long. Notre Dame ended up plowing through that Wake Forest defense, and Sam Hartman is going to be hurting. Did we ever hear exactly what his... Um, but, uh, other I, I, than I think complete... the official injury report was blown to smithereens. Yeah. <laughs> that, <laughs> he was splattered. That would be, yeah, that that would be was... good. He was hammered, and, <laughs> and it became more clear to us as we watched the, the TV version yeah. of it as can well. A, can you have a lower body concussion? <laughs> it was injured body. Yeah, Injured <laughs> was... body. Uh, uh, yeah, upper body yeah. and lower body. So Notre Dame moves to 4 0. Ian Book starts his first game in 2018, was absolutely brilliant. Elise Mack is the happiest man on earth. I think Chris Fink is going to ultimately be very happy about it. A run game continues to show improvement. And the defense was dealing with a very difficult offense to handle, uh, but with time, uh, and then as, as the offense picked it up and, and a turnover was mixed in there, there was nothing that Wake Forest could do about it. So, really, a Fine performance by Notre Dame. They're up off the mat. Uh, the predictions of Notre Dame getting beat every week that the national media likes to throw out or has here in recent weeks will probably uh, dissipate. But, of course, Stanford will be coming to town, and we'll talk to, about them more extensively on Thursday. But, guys, your thoughts from Saturday in Winston-Salem? Well, I, I think if Notre Dame had started Brandon Wimbush, that Notre Dame would have been really susceptible to losing to Wake True. Forest. And I would disagree that Alizé Mack is the happiest man on earth because that's actually Chip Long. That's true. Um, that I mean, is true. He went from half a playbook to a full playbook in the course of a week. And while it, I, you know, you hear from Brian Kelly about not sleeping well and you know, nervous. I mean, aside from Ian Book coming out and just like sort of freezing up mentally, the physical aspect of this was a no-brainer. Um, what he, how he can run an offense with actually running the RPO game, um, I thought you know is sort of the to give or to keep in the read option. The only time he kept it was when he scored touchdowns. Uh, he just had a, a real nice mastery of what Notre Dame wanted to do offensively. And is like, as you sort of dig into it a little bit more and, and talk to people around Notre Dame, you hear that in the summer that Book was actually ahead uh, of Brandon Wimbush. And they felt like he had beaten him out at that point. But the Michigan game plan called for the guy – the best athlete on the field to be the guy that made all the plays because they didn't know if the offensive line could block anybody. They didn't know if the running backs could do anything. They had never played, and the receivers were really starting for the first time. So I, I sort of get the timeline of it all, um, but I think that Brian Kelly is, was probably more confident in what Ian Book displayed on Saturday than what Brian Kelly let on. Maybe some of that is deferential to Brandon Wimbush, I so. but I, I don't think that there was much um, uncertainty at all about how Ian Book was going to play from within the coaching staff. I think he had a sleepless night because he benched his senior starting quarterback. And you know what? Chris Osive, also a sleepless night. He, yeah, <laughs> he will. 
look, it's foot. Brian Kelly mentioned this. It's football. The ball can go the wrong way. Sure. And Ian Book could have had his second pass deflect off Kevin Austin's hands for an interception touchdown. And then Brian Kelly doesn't look that smart at the point. And Ian Book might be a little worried. I think the most important thing Ian Book said post game was, "Yeah, I was nervous. We talk about being nervous going into games." And someone said, "Well, when did you settle in?" He goes, "The second snap." Yeah, I thought that was. And <laughs> it was asked to repeat it. He goes, "Snap number two, I settled in." Yeah, and that is what you want from your quarterback. I would hope he was nervous, a little, some nervous jitters sure. going into that game. Yeah. But boy, once he starts playing, he's well, started rolling. You know, competitors are nervous because it's important yeah. to them. You know, and that's why you react that way. But I, you know, I, I, I think we all expected, like, like I said pregame, I, I upped my prediction because Ian Book was playing quarterback. But to play that well, I mean, I, I you know, you re, you really hard pressed to point to one play. We would all have said pregame. How do you think Ian Book's going to play? And we all would have said, at worst, he'll play well. Well, he was National Player of the Week cap- uh, um, level yes. instead. I don't think any of us would have said that, right? No. Just I, well, or very well. No, yeah. I, I thought he had a really nice game. And it goes back to a question somebody asked me in one of my mailbags at the beginning of the year. Like, imagine Brandon Wimbush is abducted by aliens and Ian Book is starting the rest of the year. Does that change your prediction? And I said no. and then, But then I was like, that sounds kind of weird. To say, but I, I think it's absolutely true. And where everything is now with Mac coming together, I mean, certainly before the season started, who are the four guys on offense? We're like, okay, if these guys click, Dorian's offense could be really good. Brandon Wimbush was a miss. Mac is definitely a hit. Claypool, I think, is going to be a hit. He's going to have to be. And Dexter Williams almost doesn't even matter now because of what <laughs> Jafar Armstrong has turned into. So, I mean, offensively, they, I guess you could you could count Wimbush as a hit. Because now they have somebody better than yes. Wimbush as a hit running the offense. Because his misses ended up not mattering. Yeah. They, they almost got burned once. The, the, Van, the Vanderbilt was and they almost got burned for not making this decision that we have all lauded since. I am still impressed he made the decision at 3-0. I wrote on in Who and What to Watch, has Brian Kelly ever done this? You asked the question post game. He said no. And I wondered who has ever done this. Uh, Nick Saban at halftime and Dabo Sweeney this week. Halftime of the halftime of the championship, championship yeah. game. Yeah. That was the, obviously the ballsiest call. You got to be Nick Saban yeah. to make that call. Yeah. And there's yeah. only yeah. one man on earth that can make right. that, that call. Was... And he is, you know, but okay, we all expected him to play well, certainly. But <clears throat> halftime's different than pregame, though, because you're looking at something that's not working. And the say, national championship game is different than that way for <laughs> Well, I mean, it, you know, six and one half dozen. If you want to put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> we <laughs> once on a Monday, once on a Saturday. <laughs> I mean, it's football. <laughs> it wasn't like Ian Book had been a tremendous decision maker in the few times that he had played. Now that's because it was the few times that he had played, and he probably always felt like, "Hey, I got to, I got to make something happen." Like he came in uh, the Vanderbilt game at midfield, and he ran out of bounds for a three-yard loss, which he should have thrown the ball away, or he had the four interceptions and seventy-five pass attempts last year. You know, I think there was a feeling like, okay, I'm in. I've got to make something happen. He came into this game knowing that the leash was going to be very, very long with him, and he, and he just settled in right away. And I, that's why I go back to I don't think he made a bad decision. I think Blacklish pointed out, oh, well, Claypool was open on this play. Well, he was he was, he was was rolling to his right, and Claypool was to his left, so I don't even call that a bad decision. Tim, remember during the game we uh, uh, when Austin caught that ball or was out of bounds, I said, oh, he waited too long to throw the ball. And then immediately we saw Kelly and Dell Alexander talking to Austin, so that tells you that he ran the wrong depth. He ran the wrong route. So I'm not even really sure that I can point to a specific play where he, I mean, he made a bad decision. He was, 
He was brilliant. He he was fantastic. And for those that say, I answered this on a message board and I address it again in today's Tale of the Tape, for those that say that, you know, it was just Wake Forest, you are missing the nuances of the position, man. I mean, the way he played the game. Is he going to win every game and complete 75%? Of course not. But if he plays like he did Saturday, when a receiver's open, he's generally going to hit him. And when an opportunity arises... He's generally going to take advantage of it. I mean, I really think one of the issues that a lot of fans had watching Notre Dame the, the first three weeks, it, it just like it wasn't that enjoyable. Like it no. wasn't a good no, product. It was not. The last two weeks were a terrible football product. Yeah. yeah. Now, I mean, the they, first week they, you knew it was just going to be pulling. They teeth. won. Yeah. It's the bottom line. It, and I would be if anyone wants to just say, look, they, they won. Shut up. That's fine. But I'm just saying. That with Ian Book in there, what you're watching is kind of exciting and interesting. I think there, there's certainly some newness to it. But Notre Dame, you feel like they're running the offense that every other successful team is running now. It's true. Where just and like, we've never, we in, in the history of Notre Dame, we've never seen an offense run like that. I'm, I, that, that style. No, listen. <laughs> yeah, that's that what I'm saying. That sure. style, we've never yeah. seen a Notre Dame quarterback run an offense and like it's, that. I think it's been frustrating for people because why... Why can Old Dominion throw for 500 yards on Virginia Tech, but Notre Dame has a hard time passing on Ball State or in Vanderbilt? Yeah, and I don't even like to use the Ball State because obviously they didn't even try to prepare for that game. They certainly prepared for Vanderbilt and couldn't yeah. do a thing. I think that is that was probably why I asked the question beforehand, why did they not make this move after Ball State? Probably because Brian Kelly blamed the entire team, including himself, for Ball State, not Brandon Wimbush. With Vanderbilt, he was probably thinking, we, just, we worked on all of this and nothing is working. You know they were up for Vanderbilt after Ball State. I mean, they had to have a practice week where if you have athletes with the pride, you're going to be up for that game. I bet that was the flash straw. Yeah, and you know, I, let's we can talk. We'll talk more about Ian Book, of course, with our questions. But defensively, you know, they had a little bit of problem with the, that annoying running game that that Wake Forest runs. The you know, you have the are tempo. you with us that we don't like watching that running? I, it's like we're, offensive to me. Yeah, we're a quarterback. Wait, and, I think uh, Carney just took from Hartman yeah, right now. We're 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 a quarterback and a running back Slow. come to a standstill, and it's live. It's, the play is still live. It's so hard to watch. Like who runs tempo, but then takes twenty minutes yeah. to hand the ball off. But it's 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 ingenious because it gives your offensive line an opportunity to get a little bit of push, and if you don't get if you don't get pressure from your defensive line now you're at their mercy and Notre Dame you know to their credit stood firm in the red zone and that was that was key because if Wake Forest falls through with a couple of those drives now we got a game but they stood firm in the red zone and then you know the they get a crucial three and out to start the second half and then the offense is just rolling and and it's unstoppable but again even though the the streak of Clark Lee 20 points and under ends at three um well, and, and you know, I mean, yeah. basically the streak that Elko, Elko started yeah, 13 yeah. out of 16. Um, you know, they scored two of their three touchdowns came in the last 16 minutes of the game. The yardage came, most of the yardage came early. The two touchdowns came late. But it, again, it, Clark Lee came up with a defensive plan and his players, uh, Julian O'Carr played it, I mean, probably his best game. His Tranquil best too. game in the night. Drew Tranquil is great. Yeah. He's the line of scrimmage, man. He's yeah. just. I guess it's not his first great game. No, but, I mean, yeah. and, you know, and you can go, Jonathan Jones came in and played really well, and Dalen Hayes continues to, I think, play subtly well. They're a good football team, man. And now you have a quarterback that can distribute it. He distributed it to 10 guys. And, um, you know, like 199 yards to the receivers, 65 yards to the tight ends, and 65 yards to the running backs. Yeah, that's about the way you design it. That, that's it. 
Yeah, I mean, it was, when I was sort of going through, and I think it was maybe Tim in your um, report card about the the 199 yards to, yeah. to receivers, and I, I of course can't find my notes, but the yards per catch for the receivers. I think one of the thoughts we had was, well, the better arm strength from Brandon Wimbush is going to lead to bigger plays in the passing game. Well, I think that Notre Dame's receivers were averaging about 14 yards per catch. Uh, from Wimbush through three games, and they averaged, I think, 16.5 this weekend from Book. So it's like you can get big plays on short passes oh, yeah. um, as long as you have accuracy behind it. And I think the the Young, Fink, there were both examples of those. That's where it's just pitch and catch, but then when you have superior athletes to who you're going against, suddenly short plays become big plays. I feel like that is the next frontier for Claypool to get involved in the offense is him catching some of those short balls because his acceleration, we know... Yeah from practices when he catches one of those and takes a couple steps. It's not only is he quick and shifty. I think you mm-hmm. put a shift out there before of him shaking a, a guy that's 240 should not be shaking people yeah. like this. His acceleration is great, and he can run through you. I mean, he's a better athlete than he's shown at wide receiver right now, which makes you wonder, is it all thinking? Is he not? Is he just thinking too much? But maybe that is the way he kind of... I like watching fake and young fake people out, but when when Claypool does it, there's step number two. He can go. Yeah, he's going to have to be more resourceful. Miles Boykin is going to have to be more resourceful. Uh, Ian Book is going to. I mean, if you're open, he's going to he's going to get it to you. You know, I mean, or at least that's what he showed on on Saturday. And again, I think you know you can't completely discount Wake Forest being lousy on defense. Oh gosh, no, we I mean, get that, but I get Pete, too. Yeah, Pete, getting back to your point. Yeah, you can you can if you hit a guy in stride and it's and he catches it 14 yards downfield, you can add another 14, 20, 25 yards to that. Big big plays don't always have to be, you know, caught 45 yards downfield. You can get half of that and then the other half running the football. The little bubble screen look screen game that works. That's the key. Yeah. They're, not, they're not turning around to catch it. Or you can throw to catch screens. Yeah. You can the, the whole RPO book is back open. All the stuff I don't like watching works great now. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, you'll like it a little bit more. If Notre Dame's executing, I, just... <laughs> I would imagine it. Uh, all right, we have um, we've got a ton of questions in segment two, and we had to eliminate a few. So we apologize for those that had good questions and aren't going to make it. But we're going to cover. I tried to. You'll never know. Try, yeah, <laughs> right, you'll never know. But I tried to get a menu covering a little bit of everything that happened in Notre Dame Wake Forest, and we'll we'll address that in segment two in a minute. Thank you for listening to the Irish Illustrated Insider Podcast. If you enjoy our coverage of Notre Dame football, please consider supporting the podcast with a small donation. Go to irishillustrated.com support. Your support will help Irish Illustrated continue to be the leader in coverage of Notre Dame athletics. Segment two of Irish Illustrated Insider brought to you by Katanzarit Financial Services is our burning up the board segment. We have a, naturally a bunch of questions from Ian Book. I'll narrow it down to two here. One from Paul Severio. Based upon his performance, do you believe Ian Book is set up for success against upcoming defenses as well? Did he play the game of his life, or do you think he can produce somewhat similarly moving forward? And then at Big Mac 24, are we reading too much into the story that Book wrote Saturday? Um, you know, is he going to go... 25-34 for 325 and five total touchdowns? No. It's not going to happen against Stanford. <laughs> I guess it might happen against Virginia Tech all of a sudden. But uh, is he going to consistently complete 65% of his passes and maybe have a 2.5 to 1 TD die and T ratio? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's totally reasonable. And I think, the, I think the run game will be better for it as well. He's completely set up for success. He's just facing a better defense this year, this week. 
Yeah, Stanford's defense is, um, they were ranked very high in pass efficiency before the Oregon game. I'm sure that dropped a little bit because uh, Oregon had success through the air because Herbert's a good quarterback. Yeah. But uh, Stanford's defense is playing well. This is... They he struggled, they struggled a little bit with Oregon, and they haven't played other good offenses. But statistically, they're yeah, doing I think, well. I think um, that's the, the they 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 struggled against Oregon, and they hadn't played good offenses. Prior I would to say that. Oregon's offense could challenge Notre Dame's defense, like the other teams they've played haven't too, though. Uh, you yeah, know, so it's fair it, sure. it's fair to say that that Stanford <laughs> held up when they had to. There, look, it'll be a much tougher test this week. Um, Virginia Tech will never play like that again, I would assume. But it, all of a sudden, that game's easier than, than we thought it was, right? Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, especially if Josh Jackson's yeah. out. I mean, that's the guy with experience, and he led them last year. Yeah, I, you know, I mean, I, I kind of reiterate what I said in segment one, that you have to look, I mean, just look beyond the numbers and look beyond Wake Forest and, and think of how you watched. what the, the, you Think of the vision in your head of the way Ian Book played the quarterback position, the decisiveness, going through the progressions, knowing where all of his components are, are you know, faking to a running back, looking downfield, and then finding that running back again to dump the pass off. Everything is open. The RPOs are open. The screen game is open. The bubble game is open. They can just do way, way more now. I can't conceive of him just all of a sudden throwing behind people on look screens, all of a sudden missing players that are open and holding the ball way too long and missing the open guy. Now, he might get in that frame of mind where if, let's say, Stanford is just playing regular quality defense and it's a 14-14 game entering the middle of the third quarter where you feel like you need to make something happen because that is still probably in his repertoire for a guy that can extend plays. It's worth noting that three of his four interceptions have kind of been either in the red zone going in or that killer against Miami. I don't know how much that one matters, really. It, they, it, yeah, did not. it, it did not. But, uh, yeah, I could see him making mistakes when he's forcing the issue, but that's probably what's going to happen for a young quarterback. I think there was... Um... The play on the broadcast where I, I think he f- kind of forced it to Michael Young to the right and Claypool was open on the left. That was a the, on that snap. Wake Forest, so like I think they did a drop eight where a l- outside linebacker defensive end sort of fell off into coverage. I think is he going to get fooled by that at some point? Probably. Um, a lot of guys get fooled by that drop eight when they're. It's it's hard. Like as soon as you add one more component, mm. it's difficult to see all the components at once. So yeah, it's like the notion that he's never going to throw an interception is obviously crazy. Well, and, and he wasn't under a lot of duress on Saturday either. He's going to face situations where the offensive line isn't isn't handling blitzes, and so he's going to be under pressure. And you know, then we'll see how he makes decisions. But when he was under pressure on Saturday, he seemed to know where. <clears throat> excuse me, the openings. To move within the pocket were. Um, I thought you know, the line knew where he off. was too. It was a, is a situation where it could be difficult to know what Brandon Wimbush is doing right. back there, and I just felt like they kind of trusted he was going to. There was I, one I situation agree. where, and by the way, they were going for a deep shot. We were everybody's watching that game saying they're going to have to take a shot here deep because he's just going short, short, short. It was the second drive, maybe it might have been the first drive where there was the fake handoff, there was the fake end around, and he was throwing deep. They were just covered downfield, mm-hmm. so they were. So it, 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 it is the chip long move of attacking something deep late, yeah. but he he didn't throw it. Right. I wasn't looking. I was walking book. I know, wasn't looking downfield. He threw one pass fifty seven yards in the air. He threw another pass forty seven yards mm-hmm. in the air. Maybe he has to muscle up a little bit more than sure. you know. Wimbush makes it look free and easy. But again, but again, you can get you know you can get forty five yards a couple different ways. One of them is to complete it for twenty and hit him in stride. And he runs for another twenty five more. Yeah, I mean, his longest completion of the year probably will be the Michael Young 66-yard yeah. completion, which was actually <laughs> right. 66 yards right. of run after the catch, Yeah, which is fine. It should have been, but yeah. four more. 
actually. Golden by name. With the running game finding its groove over the last two weeks, how do you see Dexter Williams being integrated into the mix? Um, good question. I mean, we'll, we'll we'll find out. I think he, you know, I mean, he enters, enters the equation as a number three back. Um, he's not a guy that you throw it to a lot. Anyway, you know, bottom line is he has to prove that he understands what they're doing out there as much as Armstrong and Jones Jr. do. Um, you yeah. know, if he doesn't, yeah, I mean, if he doesn't understand, if he doesn't understand, you know, the, his past pro responsibilities, if he doesn't understand the playbook as well as, as he should, uh, which he hasn't in the past. Hasn't he been with the scout team most of this time? I would Why would ima- he be giving yeah, I would Dexter Williams varsity reps? Yeah, I mean, maybe in this instance yeah. you would. Maybe as the weeks have gone on, right, they, right. They, they've given him a little bit more of a look. But, you know, we can speculate, but it all comes down to Dexter Williams, how quickly he's adapting to the situation he's thrown in. I think he's a luxury player now. It's like At some point, Armstrong, Jones, or Williams will get hurt in the next two months. So then you need the two guys who are not hurt to play. If one of those two guys who are not hurt is Dexter Williams, then he's a critical player. But I think going into Stanford, your third back is really sort of a, an extra, especially with Avery Davis sort of being like a half back at this point. Um, I don't mean that like in a pun way. Just like yeah. he's not a fully activated sure. running back. Um, Dexter Williams should be. Williams should usurp all of Avery Davis's carries for this game, however, and, and yes. field appearances. Uh, two thoughts on Williams. Number one, in terms of, Tim, you mentioned his pass-catching acumen. The two memories I have of Dexter Williams come from other Notre Dame players. Number one, in spring, pra- in spring practice, Williams was mouthing off to Nick Watkins, who's since moved on, and Watkins said, what are you talking about? You only know one route? <laughs> that was this spring. Oops, you weren't supposed to hear, yeah, that. Supposed to hear that. And it, the well, statute of limitations has gone on that yes. one. And when he caught a touchdown... Was it the blue goal game or a scrimmage? He caught a touchdown, and Dejon Kaiser tweeted out, "There's no way that's Dexter Williams." <laughs> so <laughs> that well, I think that was the blue goal. I game. think it was the blue goal yeah. game. I, so now you know what they feel about Dexter the receiver. Um, I feel like yeah, he, he's going to get in. Um, look, if he gets a 40 yard carry and doesn't miss an assignment, he's going to get a few more carries. If he misses an assignment, he won't play the rest of the game. Kevin Stefferson, first game back, it was Miami of Ohio, so they didn't need to do anything. They kind of forced it. It looked awkward. North Carolina, they barely played him, and then they unleashed him well, on USC <laughs> and, after, uh, a, bye week, after a bye week. So I bet you Dexter gets a lot more play after the Stanford game. We, he's a sophomore we, versus senior there. True. Yeah. We we have said that you know you don't have to see what number the guy's wearing. You know it's Dexter Williams. So yeah, as, I, I hope as, he's integrated in this game. I mean, yeah, I would you, be a shame if yeah. he's not somehow. No, you should. And that's why I say, has he been on the scout team for three weeks? I, I don't. I don't know about that. I would imagine they've already started the integration process. We have all been told. Uh, since last year when we complained about Dexter Williams not playing along with the rest of people watching Notre Dame games, that there's a reason he doesn't play. Maybe you guys should quit playing this up. But sometimes when you hand a guy the ball and he runs it for 40 yards, you, you can work that in, right? You can work that in. It's a skill set. Okay, that's a skill set You can definitely work that in. Irish Cavs. The lack of production coming out of Miles Boykin is eye-opening. Only nine receptions on the season. And in three or four games, he's only registered one grab. Are you seeing anything on tape that suggests the teams are shading coverage his way to take him away, or is it more to do with him missing a few catchable balls here and there while not living up to the wide receiver number one billing? I don't really watch games to see how like they're defending Notre Dame's receivers. Um, it's hard for us to watch so everything, and that's one of the things. I don't know how to answer that. Um, I watch the line, so I have trouble with that too. Yeah, yeah. Well, I can. I, I mean, I, the only I'll answer that number one. I did watch him against Joan Williams against Vanderbilt, <laughs> and okay, that's good. a tough yeah. matchup. And number two, in this past game, ten different guys caught passes. You know, I mean, Elise Mack caught 
four of his passes in the first quarter, and he only totaled 61 yards. So I don't know that we can, and for the record, Boykin only caught one pass this past weekend. And Notre Dame would not be remotely worried about Miles Boykin's contributions this past week because of what you just said. Everything was clicking. If Miles Boykin doesn't get the ball, Miles Boykin doesn't get the ball, right? Right. So I think I think it's a little, especially now that you've changed quarterbacks, I think it's a little bit difficult to project there. I, I don't think it's anything, look, as long as you're distributing the football like Ian Book did, it doesn't matter who's getting it. As long as you're getting yeah. productivity on a pass-by-pass basis or a regular pass-by-pass basis. So I don't know that we can really answer that. But, the, I mean, that's my answer to the last Two weeks, and we'll see where it goes moving forward. But, you know, Book certainly has a chemistry with Mac. We've seen that. Mac has 44 career catches. Twelve of them have come in the two games that Ian Book has started. I, I mean, I think it's worth noting that of the receivers, like, who's going to benefit most from Ian Book and who's going to benefit least? Miles Bellican would benefit least. Because I, no, I agree with that. You're not throwing the stay routes and bubble screens to Boykin. You're throwing it to Fink and Young and maybe Claypool, right. Mac a little bit over the middle. You know, Boykin was sort of the perfect guy for Wimbush because he's to just throw the ball up outside the numbers, see if you can make a play. And it's not, you know, I think, oh, well, he, you know, he has great chemistry with that guy. That That is it sometimes. But it's also p- the position they play in the routes that they run. And a tight end is a very inviting target for most quarterbacks. And I think we can reevaluate this. Boykin's had one game with uh, Book where everything was working and he didn't happen to get the ball. He had three games with a quarterback that's not a passer. So three games down the road, if Miles Boykin has one catch, two catch, one catch, then this becomes. Oh yeah, he what did. Hook, at. He did hook up with him in the Citrus Bowl, didn't he? Yeah, it's you know there's. A, <laughs> it's a, uh, <laughs> I think that was a one name where everything worked. So any random guy that had one catch doesn't matter. Yeah. Parrot eighty four from Twitter. What do you think of the mental makeup maturity so far of four guys mentioned at the beginning of the year? Uh, one of the best Pete, you already, you already <laughs> comment on yeah. You actually comment on those four guys. Why don't you uh, pick it up from there? Uh, you know, Mac, I think, has been has been good. I talked to him, I mean, we all talked to him on yeah. Wednesday of last week, um, you know, just about he's pressing sometimes, you know, it's been up and down. He's just sort of had to roll with it. Um I think that's just sort of his personality. I mean, there there are very few guys on the team that you would talk to and they would basically tell you what the game plan was going to be on Saturday. And Mac was one of them last week when he said, <laughs> we're going to throw the ball a lot against Wake Forest. They're really susceptible to the pass. Aaron Lynch tried that before. Yeah. It didn't go well. But it's just like, that's just his personality. And I think that's great. It's refreshing. Um, you know, I think Claypool has been fine. Um, I think they were mad at him a couple times yeah. on the field. but. But it's been fine, yeah. yeah. You know, and then, and then Wimbush. I, I, I guess we have to say that sort of remains to be seen. Um, but clearly, they're the coaching staff is trying to be as deferential to Wimbush as possible right now, rightfully so. I mean, he's put in a lot of time and a lot of work. Mm-hmm. I don't think you just sort of shelve that completely. But um, I, you know, with Wimbush, I, it's just it's going to be a real test for him to see how engaged he stays. And Dexter Williams, I, I just have no idea at all. Seems happy. Williams about to play. You know, Wimbush won't be divisive presence, though. He doesn't mean he's going to be fully engaged and ready to roll in the game, though, either. There's a difference between no, I, supporting your friend and teammate and actually preparing to start as the backup. Yeah, yeah I mean, I think I think I, I certainly agree with that. Um, you know, when you had a when you had the the Kaiser Zaire situation, Zaire has proven himself. Yeah, I mean that 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 wasn't a good situation. I don't think Brandon Wimbush is is like that. Is he frustrated, disappointed? Of course, I don't think that he's going to let that spill over into his attitude on the sideline. ND NYC, 
one-third of the way through, and the offensive line looks to have come a long way. What's your assessment of the job done by Jeff Quinn so far? I mean, they've certainly improved the last two games or the first two games. They've improved. You just want to throw out. It's just hard to grade the Michigan game. So, I mean, they've improved three weeks in a row. The Michigan game, I mean, they, they were playing against better players, and they found a way, and then yeah, they got I, shut down. I mean, I think the jury's still out. Yeah, I but mean, they, I, with, it, they look. No, they, with book this this line doesn't have to do the same thing either. I, no, I agree, but they they played Vanderbilt, who I didn't think Vanderbilt's defense was nearly as good as they appeared against mm-hmm. Notre Dame. I think that showed itself with their game against South Carolina this past week. They got hammered at home, uh, and Wake Forest defense is bad. So I don't think we know about the offensive line yet, but they've certainly played better the last two two games. And I agree with you, Tim. I think the chemistry. I you know I did, hadn't thought about that, but I but there is the feeling. When you watch it, that yes, that offensive line knows where Ian Book is and where he might go. I mean, the, I think the line clearly has strengths with with Bars and Mustafar. That Bars was particularly physical. Like some of his cut blocks on the perimeter against smaller, more athletic players looked kind of brutal, um, where it just would wipe them out completely. Um, you know, Trevor Rulin, I thought was was okay for the first start. I think pulling and getting out in space and like getting himself in position. Within the run game was good. Like the the physicality of moving guys off the ball is you know certainly not no, Tommy Kramer or right, Josh right. level, but I don't know. It's I I thought that the offensive line played pretty well against Vanderbilt, and Wimbush was not under very much pressure uh, compared to Ball State. Compared, no, to I, I agree. I just and don't I think. think this, I, and I think it's just going to keep building that way. I, I think there's a very good chance that I just don't think Vanderbilt's defense is very good, and and you know they didn't they didn't play well against South Carolina. And Wake Forest is awful, but you can't control those kind of things. You you can only do right. what you can do, and they've made progress. I think communication <clears throat> has clearly the ball state they had none. Um, I think communication has clearly improved, but it's going to be tested this week with Stanford because Stanford has always been able to do stuff with their fronts that has confused Notre Dame's offensive line when it's at its best. Um, I think the book situation helps. I'm going to keep harping on that. And in fairness to Ruland, look. All season long, he's going to play his second best position, whether he's in there or not. He's a backup. He's a center. He's got to play guard. Uh, I think they want Kramer back. I would assume for the Stanford game when it gets physical. I would. I, I would. There's no doubt about the road and tail the tape. There's, you know, not every four slash five star guy is better than a three star guy, but most of the time he is. And in this instance, in this instance, he is. Uh, that's Struggle Bus Gus. Haven't had that guy on here yet. All right. What's the better nickel combo? Love, Pride, and Griffith. Or Love, Pride, and Vaughn. Well, Coleman's not even mentioned in here. Um, I think this is a I think this is a concern for Notre Dame, uh, and it's good that <laughs> I think it's uh, the Crawford's a better nickel combo, and it's a problem against Stanford. To be honest yeah. with you, yeah. Um, but Crawford would have a tough time in this matchup yes. as well. Um, I think this is a concern. I think Notre Dame's two biggest concerns defensively are nickel and backup defensive tackle, and that's not. When you add everything up, that that's that's pretty good. If those are your yeah, two something biggest, something has to be right. Those, you know, uh, I don't think Micah Dutreadway is playing very well at, at nose tackle, and and uh, uh, Jason Adam, Adam Malola has his limitations as a true freshman. But who? Um, overall, I, would, I think the Griffith I, I mean, one I know is what better. you're overall for the season. The Griffith one is better. Just yes. let him grow. I don't know. This week is just Houston Griffith against the monstrous. Who's playing nickel against Stanford anyway? Love. 
No, I mean, like, why would you be a nickel personnel against uh, a fullback and three uh, tight ends? Because they will, those tight ends flex out and they go I mean, one-on-one see, that's and why jump I say, balls are, they are all perimeter these days, man. They are a tough <laughs> offense Coleman, to Coleman is not mentioning this, and first of all, Coleman's a terrible matchup against Greg Dorch, but... Right, that's a valid point but, that Griffith's and the only that, quick guy. And, that, you know, and, and he was never intended to match up against Dorch, but he had to. Uh, I don't like the way Griffith is playing. I don't think he's... It's a hard think, role not, as a freshman, man. No, it is. He, but but he's not but he's not defending and then when the ball isn't there, I don't think he's playing the ball well. So I I mean I just don't <laughs> That's different, I suppose. <laughs> I, you know, w- would you like love to be your nickel? Yeah, but then you have Vaughn at corner and yeah. and and that's not good and you're talking about a perimeter game perimeter game for Stanford. So it's a it's a great question because I think it's a difficult question to answer. I like love at all three positions. Yeah, I do too. I like him there. He does well. <laughs> <laughs> you can put him in one of the safety spots. We have a long conversation coming about the Pride Love uh, other corner situation with Stanford after watching their comeback. Um, they know how to scheme guys open now because you have to worry about Bryce Love and these monstrous human beings going one-on-one. They just use a tight end like Gronkowski now, and he runs down the field and turns around. Did you see the touchdown to send? Yeah, they, they box them out. They, and there's tip passes to themselves. It's ludicrous what they're doing out there. I mean, they have a plan now, and they have recruited to it. And their outside talent, their offensive line is not as good as it used to be. Their outside talent is out of this world compared to what they used to have. They still think it's a pretty good offensive yes, line. Yes, but they and used to have, be brutal. No, I mean, and Costello just keeps getting better and better and better. It's a great matchup this week. Yeah. I mean, it's just a it's a fantastic matchup of of two programs that, that you know, do battle every year. Um Stanford has gotten the best in Notre Dame by and large recently, uh, but Costello really, really, from the first time I saw him last year, you knew he was only going to get better. It's kind of like Book, only, I mean, you know Book's going to just, he's going to continue to progress, and Costello has, and he's he's tough. Doc Irish, if Wake was the right defense to insert Ian Book, is there a right defense for Brandon Wimbush left on the schedule? Not for you, not for a whole defense. I wouldn't think, but um, I was trying to figure out a spot because you know, uh, watching the game tape, of course, everyone's trying to find a spot for Wimbush to come into that game, not knowing he wasn't going to play. The announcers are saying, "Well, the red zone—that means they did not scout Notre Dame at all because you took out Wimbush in the red yeah. zone." So, as much as Brandon Wimbush was a great red zone quarterback, clearly the staff likes Ian Book in the red zone more as they inserted him over the starter. Well, no, they, but they insert him in the blue zone. In the blue zone. All right, so he can try to run from the twenty to the nine and a half. But you know what? He can come in honestly, and I. This is a decent spot when you're backed up the black zone. When you're backed up, and you got to run it out of there about the nine oh, yard line, good, no, Brandon Wimbush point. can get you out of there with the threat of the run, the threat of the handoff, or throw down field. Because if you have to put him in, that's now, a spot. imagine asking the league's Zaire to do that. You want me to run what? Yeah, can you <laughs> can you run three times and see if you can gain <laughs> nine yards and then ten yards and get hit? <laughs> We're trying to find him a spot, Pete. Come on. I don't. I'll let you guys. Yeah, you, I don't. I don't think black um, zone. Well, look. I, first of all, the the whole talk about moving him to running back. Look, Brandon Wimbush has spent his entire life avoiding hits. He's not going to play running back. He, I mean, you can say he's the best. We could always say he's the best running back. Uh, but running back from the quarterback position. He's the best athlete. Yeah. Yeah. Among the running. He's backs. not. You're not. He, he. You can't put him at running back. He's not going to be a running back. And and the notion of putting him at receiver and training him to teach him that, that's not going to happen at this stage of his career. So he's if you're going to use him, you're going to use him the way you did when he was playing when he was starting quarterback. You're going to snap him to football and shotgun, and let him run. I still don't know why Ian Book is better in the blue zone. Wimbush. 
was great inside the 12, 15-yard line last year. Well, but Book just scored three touchdowns. He did, but Wimbush did it for a year, right? (laughs) I mean, we wrote stories about how good he was and the reason he should play is he's so good. But that's just pure physicality, not reading the situation. It counts. That counts. (laughs) This is my mantra. Does that that count, too? I'm not sure. I don't know. I'll have to think about this for Thursday's podcast. It's yeah, it's it's a vexing problem. Brandon Wimbush's impact on this season is going to be if Ian Book gets hurt, right? Yes, yeah, okay. that's yeah. the best way. To or if it. you want, you want to bring him in every now and then to run a, a shotgun snap or or, or the Wildcat. I, yeah, well, I'm going with O'Malley. Yeah, yeah. if Ian Book gets hurt, that's okay. the role. Uh, K. Beasley, are any of the staff close to bumping season predictions to ten and two or better? We knew this question was coming. At least it's uh, fitting this week. Does it? Does this have more to do? This is good in addition to the question. Does this have more to do with how Book did on Saturday, or seeing Virginia yes. Tech, Stanford, a remainder of the opponents? Can it be both? Can you? Can it you is say? both. It has to be both. <laughs> it's always both <laughs> for one thing. Um, it's never one thing. Quickly, we all picked four and zero, and yes. we all picked uh, six and one. With I believe Tim and I saying they would win this game close coming up, and Pete saying they would win the Virginia Tech game close. So. Not a lot has changed, except what he adds here, K. Beasley. Uh, Virginia Tech does not look as good. Pittsburgh looks awful. So I, oh, if, if, they, if they lose to anyone but Stanford, first of all, I don't see a back-to-back loss right now being feasible. I would assume if they lose to Stanford, they can bounce back and beat Virginia Tech. Doesn't mean they can't get trimmed by Virginia Tech, clipped by Virginia Tech on the road if they're undefeated, because that's a different world you're in. Um, I think Stan, like I think Stanford's good. I don't. Whatever people think they saw vulnerable. Well, because Stanford. they were down thirty to seven. Yeah, well, they played a really good team on the road. Yeah, where I put people m- scream like crazy. Right, and, I uh, put much more weight in the comeback and the win than I do them falling behind thirty to seven. You're on the road in Oregon. They was going, they were going crazy. Yeah. Uh, Oregon has a new coach with a really exciting quarterback, and they caught him, and then they caught up. Yeah, I, like if if Notre Dame had played in that game as Oregon, we would be spending the entire podcast talking about the officiating. Um, and then the clock management at the end. So that was ridiculous. Oregon is yeah. right there with Stanford, mm-hmm. uh, and arguably better than Stanford. So in terms of Notre Dame's outlook, I mean, I, I'm, I'm definitely 10-2 and two is now, to me, a, coin, a coin flip with 9-3. and three. Right. Um, So before it was... Nine and three, and then ten and two more likely than eight and four, and then eight and four more likely than a ten and two. That's and, off the board. And, and now I feel like it's it's ten and two, or it's nine and three, and in and that order, it's a coin flip, fifty fifty. If they go yeah, eight and I think four, that's where they are right now. Well, they're not call it. They're not going. If Ian Brooks if, stays yeah. healthy, there's yeah. uh, there's no way they're going eight. And no, four. I I would I would bet a amount of money that it'd be uncomfortable to lose. They will not go eight and four. That's not that's not an option anymore. Right, but I mean, people, like, but people are shocked that we're even talking about if they get we're through, giving yeah. any credence to. Eight and but we've four. always done that from our the beginning. No, of the I, season no, you're right, right, so. right, right. no, it's if they get through this weekend, if they beat Stanford. Then, if you want to have an eleven and one, twelve and zero conversation, I agree. I will entertain that topic. But right now, they are still in a toss-up game at home with Brian Kelly versus David Shaw. If they get right. at least one win in the next two weeks, I'm definitely at ten and two. Yeah, but I'm I'm yes, yeah, yeah, because I don't think they would blow two games now when you have Florida State stinking. I think. I mean, Ian I Book think, is it losing to Navy? I think the either. biggest change in no. one, one, the biggest change in sort of the context of this question is Ian Book. The second biggest change is Virginia Tech, and the third biggest change is USC, because those road games look 
much different today than they did yeah. in on August 1st. And I feel like Book, and you did say he's number one, so just to back that point up, I feel like Book takes away the chance for a 22-point game against Pittsburgh and Navy that really existed with Brandon Wimbush. With, with Ian Book, yes. a quarterback, Norton will win the time of possession against Navy. Well, or at least balance it. At least balance it out to the point where we're not right. Where it it's matter. not yeah. an issue in the outcome of the game. I think we kind of answered this one from Lolly Gang of Nine. Is Kramer injured, and does Ruland provide the power needed at guard? But let's did we good. actually? I mean, Kramer is injured. Yeah, he yeah, did hurt he, his ankle. Yeah, he hurt ankle. I guess it was in practice Wednesday. I think it was on somebody. Yeah. I don't. I'm not really sure. What so. we don't know is he was replaced during the Vanderbilt game. Did he do something then? To come out, or did he come well, out? Well, he was replaced, but then went back in. Um, did he so, make it then? You never know. You know, I guess is was Ruland close enough for they're saying we're taking you well, out? Well, I will say again, Ruland, Ruland, Ruland played at the end of the first half, which was when if you're going to throw the ball down the field, that would make sense, right? I did, yeah. I, Strategic, not personnel, is what you're saying. That's in, my question. I, 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 mean, th- I, I didn't, guard, yeah, I didn't validate that, but that, yeah. but that's what it looked like to yeah, me. Yeah, I think it was two different. Okay, two different. Themes there, but you know whether Kramer will play this weekend or not. Brian Kelly seemed optimistic about him and Cole Komet being available this weekend, so we'll see. I'm pretty skeptical about ankle injuries yeah. and guys big coming guy, back. Big from guy, them. yes, big guys with ankle I'm, injuries. I'm really skeptical about. This keeps getting asked, skeptical about Komet because he's a big guy that has to run with an ankle injury. Kramer, you could at least kind of anchor and. Kelly was talking about how quickly he recovers yesterday. I, you know, you don't know. I don't know. I saw him walking around the yeah. Goog. He seemed fine. I mean, I'm fine. Like he's not being hit or asked to like run a dick <laughs> run. But yeah. like he's just walking downstairs. You know, he had a little brace on his yeah. his ankle. But you know, if, if I had seen him in a boot or something, I'd be right. like, all right, yeah, we'll see you after the bye week. Yeah. Fresh. 16-19, did Stanford's escape against Oregon make you more confident or less confident in a Notre Dame win? Completely zero. Nothing. Nothing either way. This is college football, and Stanford and Notre Dame will have a completely different game than the Oregon-Stanford game. David Shaw is coming to South Bend. I will point that out again. David Shaw owns Notre Dame right now. Three in a row, four out of five, five out of seven. Anything else on David Shaw versus Notre Dame? He has a reason... He is a tough guy to beat. That he does. Yes. The only thing, and I and I would agree with you. I don't. I I, I don't. You know, I, I didn't want them to lose. No, the Oregon it's much game. more fun for us right now that they won that game. Oh, for sure. It's not even close. I was this is yeah, great. It's great. I was, I was, I'm glad they won the game. I was drinking beers and cheering on Oregon as much as I ever cheer on <laughs> anybody in a sports bar. You mean Stanford? In Char- Star- yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. Stanford, yeah. That's, I was on my fifth beer. So <laughs> you should have been breaking yeah. down. But, uh, no, I'm, I'm distracted by So we were talking about Virginia Tech. Uh, apparently, as we were recording, Justin Fuente said Josh Jackson has a fracture to Ooh. his left fibula and will have surgery tomorrow. I assumed he was out. You're yeah. out for Notre Dame at that yeah. point yeah. and probably yeah. a lot more. Yeah. Uh, but, no, what about you guys? Same confidence level? Because yeah. it's college I was, football? I was unchanged. Yeah, yeah I, I, the, I'm more confident against David Shaw <laughs> From the standpoint that I that I know this isn't a typical Stanford defense. That's I, I knew yeah. that I knew that in the, I knew that in the preseason has it has Nothing that, cha- has that right. changed? Probably a little bit, but it's still not a typical Stanford defense. I've the back I'm, end. I'm in the O'Malley the back end, Shaw perception camp here. Like it, it's Shaw versus Kelly has been Shaw big time, but he's always had a great defense. Well, no, not last year. Few, not last, the last no, couple no, no, years. Yeah. I don't even know if I want to throw this game into the mix because everything that went wrong for Notre Dame in that year. But when Notre Dame hosted Stanford, and they didn't have Christian McCaffrey, and I know who their backup was, but that's part of football. Stanford came into that game 
even though Notre Dame was two and four at that point, yeah, two and four yeah. probably after the hurricane game as underdogs to that Notre Dame team because Stanford had lost forty four to seven and forty two to thirteen or something like that to the two Washingtons, and then bam, all of a sudden Stanford beats Notre Dame and just keeps winning. David Shaw has got to be beaten by Brian Kelly. At some point, this is a rival- this has to be the one to do it. This he's is not a rivalry game. Notre Dame does not want to be a rivalry game, but it is. Oh, and it's so much so that Brian Kelly on the field to Holly Rowe after the Wake Forest game was already talking about Stanford and how Stanford has had their number the yeah. last few years. So it is. This is very front. This is a a sneaky important game yes. for Notre Dame for more than just this season. It's like they can't keep losing recruiting battles to Stanford because David Shaw can go to prospects and say, like, we beat Notre Dame all the time. Like, why don't you just come out here with a really nice weather and a degree is just as good, if not better. Like, that, it, it's just a recruiting pitch that is a, it's a real pain in the ass for Notre Dame. Statman72, when was the last time the fan base was so positive about a decision Kelly made? It's a great question. Uh, <laughs> I should have started thinking earlier. I mean, where like where you come out saying A plus Elko, coaching I job? guess they were really glad they hired Elko after a while, right? Um, hmm. It's a great question. I mean this this is a this is a masterstroke. Is what I called it. It was really when impressive. Uh, when they turned the plane around to go revisit Stefan Tuitt after he decommitted and was committed to Georgia Tech. Well, if it's recruiting, it wins. Yeah. So that was yeah. the time, I guess. No, it was a great uh, a on great the way call. to Coral Gables on the way to. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> it's been no, a long not, time. No, not not not, not last year. I mean, I'm yeah, you're probably right. 2012. I think because he he went from uh, not being liked after his first two years to being forcibly making people love him by going 12 and 0 and number one, yeah. right? And then it all's been bad. Oh, even even it's then, been uneven since for fans, right? Even then, you didn't yeah. feel as good about the offense as you do right now. But you gave Kelly a lot of credit. Yeah, 12 and 0. Yeah. Notre Dame. No, yeah. no, I I feel like there's a large section of the fan base, and I understand the perception that has is is out on Brian Kelly and probably won't ever come back in. But unless he's, undefeated. I do think yeah. Saturday was like, hmm, I might emotionally reinvest yeah. in what's happening right now. Yeah, Cause I it, agree. Because the product was good and it was fun to watch, and the decision was. It, just the decision so was just—it I mean, just was so ball—it was so ballsy, and then yeah. and then to back it up the way that they did, and for book to, you know, it's like thank you, Ian Book, for making me look, you know, really smart. And and let's not, you know, Chip Long deserves a ton of credit here. Chip yeah, Long absolutely pushing. pushed for this. He has been pushing for to, it. Yeah, he pushed for it to happen, and he, I mean, in a lot of ways, you can say he he coerced Brian Kelly into that yes. decision. Yeah, I think it's a fair. Yeah, fair depiction. And then give it. Brian Kelly enough credit to be open-minded to say, yeah, you know what? You're right. We should go ahead and do that. What about when he fired Ben Gorder? There you go. The whole <laughs> fan base was in with that one. Yeah, but they were <laughs> no, <laughs> no, because they were pissed that they hired oh, him in the first mad. place, okay. so that wasn't good enough. <laughs> that, was, that was... I mean, that was right after the Duke loss. Yeah, yeah. I don't yeah. think anyone was like, wow, great call. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I thought it was impressive at the time. Alright, we have... Uh, <laughs> I I eliminate a whole. We have a. We I think we covered we, most of the questions, at least most of the up, topics. Man, yeah. yeah, and we'll have we'll be talking a lot. Of, we'll we'll uh, we'll home in on Stanford on on Thursday. Uh, you guys are absolutely right, David Shaw. He's got Notre Dame's number, but Notre Dame has an opportunity now as their offense takes a big step forward after the Wake Forest game. So we'll be back on Thursday with another edition of Irish Illustrated Insider, brought to you by Catanzari Financial Services.
Patanza Reed Financial Services is a safe harbor providing guidance to clients on anything that affects them financially, including retirement planning, asset management, and estate planning. Catanza Reed Financial Services also leads retirement planning classes in South Bend and Elkhart, Indiana. Log on to CatanzaReedFinancialServices.com. 